1: Ladies and gentlemen in the world, just stop press. There is a new Tuesday sweeper for Trots Life. It's rare disease day today. Rare disease day, but nothing. Just mark it down, 28th of February, new Trots Life sweeper on a Tuesday. It is Trots Life. Nims Island's been hard at work producing new sweepers. So there's a special Tuesday sweeper for Toby McKinnon now. It says welcome on it. And guess what? It's my last Tuesday. <laughs> Go on, you Nimsy. Now, what a show we've got. What a show we have. It is uh, Rare Disease Day, and uh, m- many people would have heard me speak of my son. He. Uh, he has a rare disease, and I tell people it's a one in eight billion chance. Uh, that's how many people there is on the planet we've all got. We've all got our own rare disease in a way, don't we? We're all intricate and different in our own way. So when it comes to Rare Disease Day, I figure, well, it affects us all because we are all got that, uh, we've got our own condition and our own things that we are dealing with. So, uh, yeah, Rare Disease Day today, and uh, quite specifically my son, many would say he has Kabuki syndrome. Well, he does have Kabuki syndrome. Look that up and uh, get back to me when you work it out. Let's get into Trot's life though. And it's a super episode. Matt Lepard will come on for some tips and no doubt we'll talk a bit about Menangle as well as we have been each week. The breeding hour is going to be special. Steve Phillips will join me from New Zealand. He is the owner of or... Part owner with wife Anne of a horse called Like a Wildfire, who won the Horsham Cup on Sunday. But Steve's not just the breeder of multi-generations of that horse. He's a breeder of many, many horses. He ran a stud farm in New Zealand. And, yep, he had stallions. Soakies, Adam, probably his flagship stallion, Genghis Khan. New York Motoring, the sire of Barrel Boy, and does get a mention. Don't you worry about that. Butler BG, Chiowa Hanover, just to name a few of the stallions he's had. But uh, we'll talk with Steve about his stud master, about breeding. We'll talk to Steve about amateur driving. He's the godfather of amateur driving. And what is amateur driving? Just uh, hold on to your hats. We'll get into that in the second hour. And we'll talk a bit about Steve's friendship with the late. Gavin Lang who of course trained like a wildfire when he first came to Australia and uh, that was one of the last horses Gavin put the polish on and it's pretty pretty touching still to this day just for Steve and Anne to have been a part of Gavin's life through those late stages of Gav being here on this planet with us and Yeah, it's uh, still this horse like a wildfire. I don't think he'll ever sell him. He sold a lot of horses to America uh, and and to Australia over the years, but I don't think like a wildfire will ever get sold. He just means too much to Stephen and With that connection to Gavin, he's doing a wonderful job for Emma Stewart and hopefully he'll be in the Charlton Cup on March 19. March 19? Oh, the Sunday around then anyway. And from there... Uh, with a chance Steve and Ann might be able to come over. I've never met them. They did come over for the Inter Dominion. That's one chat. Our other chat here will be with Paul Lowry, the Birchip from Birchip. He's a bit of a legend in Birchip. Not as big a legend as Gareth Hall is. He's great mates. Gareth Hall and Paul Lowry are great mates. Unfortunately for uh, Gareth, Paul thinks that Gareth's done the dirty. I don't give him any more this information. Well, it wasn't him. <laughs> Uh, I got my sources from other people, and it's a wide-ranging chat uh, with Paul. And if you don't want to go to the Birchip Cup on March 11, 12, March 12, after you've heard this, uh, I'm pretty sure you will anyway. It'll be a great day there at Birchip, and great to catch up with Paul Lowry too. So they're the three key players for Trot's Life for your Tuesday edition. We'll have Paul Lowry up first. The breeding hour is going to be with Steve Phillips, where we go into a wide range of things, a little mostly about breeding, I suppose, a bit about amateur driving, and also his wonderful horse in Like a Wildfire, who him and his uh, partner, uh, wife, Anne, bread, have been uh, long-term participants in harness racing from when he first just started going to the trots, just out of interest and, One thing led to another, owning a horse to owning a stud farm. And now as a retired man, uh, he's still heavily involved in harness racing. Let's get to our first break of our two-hour Trots Life episode and come back the other side with Paul Lowry. Welcome back to Tarot's Life and we are joined now by Paul Lowry of Birchip fame and I am looking forward to this chat very, very much. Uh, Paul, firstly, mate, uh, how are you and whereabouts are you today?
0: Uh, Yeah, how are you, Toby? Yeah, I'm uh, home on the farm today and um, yeah, very, very well.
1: Where is the farm, mate, for our listeners? Ah, uh, yeah.
0: Well, I was up at Birchip. We we're out sort of between uh, just out east of Birchip, between Birchip and Witcherproof. Uh, there's where yeah, where we reside Yeah.
1: yeah. I,
0: so just about 15k's out of Birchip.
1: I have a colleague uh, in at uh, SEN by the name of Gareth Hall, and he said I've got to ask you one most important question: Would you rather win the New South Wales Derby or Birchip <laughs> win the uh, Grand Final this year? <laughs>
0: Well, that's that's a, that's a tough one. We uh, we ticked off the uh, the grand final last year, yeah. so we might say we might. I think we'll say the New South Wales Derby. I think that's taken priority now. Mm. Yes, well, yes.
1: <laughs> now, those that know Birchip well will know there's three really famous things about the town. One is the bull in the main street. Two, the vanilla slice from Brad Sharp's Bakery or Sharp's Bakery. And three is the stories of Rolko that have been regarded or retailed or retold over years and years and years. Uh, Goo Larry, your father, uh, trained this horse Rolko and there's stories about it winning at its first start at Mildura, et cetera. And it probably took probably a horse like Menengate to come along and uh, dethrone him with all the stories told.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah, no. Rocco was he was probably our first real good horse. Um, yeah, and he had his first start in Majura, and I, I think a, a young Gareth Hall was there that night, punting, punting him as well. And uh, yeah, we had a good click that night. And yeah, he was a nice horse. So he unfortunately succumbed to a paddock injury. We, you know, as always, we we didn't see see the best thing. But uh, yeah, and that sort of probably, uh, you know, uh, got us. Going with, with, with the, you know, we always had horses, but uh, yeah, he by far our best one. And then once got a taste of a good one, yeah, we uh, we want to go back and get more. Mm.
1: Do, you, do you remember the day he won at six to four at Birchip or uh, did that sort of blur into a night?
0: No, no, yes, I do, I do remember that day. I, <laughs> I remember always wins, actually, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and you, probably on that, you probably forgot the the other fourth famous thing at Birchip is our Mallee ball Cup, which is coming up in two weeks time,
1: yeah, hundred percent, and mm. I suppose yeah. this is a great advertisement for it uh there's something about Birchip when you do something, you do it well, don't you?
0: yeah, well, we try to I, 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 yes, absolutely we um you know we've got a great little community here, and we've got a really good young committee, and the the, the most important thing is that the town gets behind it, and without without that, it doesn't work. Um, the locals come, uh, the expats they love to get back for the weekend, and it just just makes for a really good weekend. Yeah, whether you're there for the races or just just to catch up, and it, um, yeah, it's, it's you know, people now mark it off on the calendar and say, well, you know long uh,
1: weekend in March for going back to Birdchip, which is great. Yeah, 100%. Oh, look, I'm not there this year, but I'll be back. Don't you worry about that. Now, time yeah, goes sure. by and there's some okay horses that win a few races in between and another good one comes along called Men and Gate, mate. The, uh, the Birdchip Bull, and he took you on a bit of a journey, didn't, you? didn't he? Across 41 starts, just the 16 wins, but 574,000. He seemed to know when to win, though.
0: Oh, yeah, he was great. That that three-year-old season of his was a uh, was a bit of a standout, and um, yeah, he was, uh, I was, it was, you know, fantastic. The, the journey he took us on, um, yeah, it, it was great, and you know, he was a good horse to watch. He, he just, once he got in front, he just, you know, refused to let other horses pass him. We just loved that fighting spirit about him, and yeah, we were fortunate enough to win a couple of derbies with him, and just had just had a lot of fun. We had a great group, and it was just just good fun. Going going around the countryside with him, there.
1: Yeah. Couple of derbies, three-year-old Vic bred, three-year-old Breeders' Crown in that season, and I love yeah. the I love the naming of a horse and by some beach somewhere out of Dreams of Honor, Men and Gate was a terrific name for the horse he became too.
0: Yes, that's right, that's right, and uh, you know he typified the um, the fighting spirit of, of the of the diggers, and that uh, that's what we're hoping to achieve. And um, yeah, it was good, and it gave you know. A, a bit of promotion for that cause and um yeah that was great too. Yes
1: yeah, stories of him winning and you shouting the bar at the footy club that went all night and it was another one i remember uh, he won at the queensland derby and you donated a percentage of the winnings to the breast cancer in memoriam of a close friend of yours.
0: Yeah true so um yeah you know as birch people they, they, they the whole town got behind him and hmm. you know they enjoyed the win just as much as we did and then yeah, um, we had a friend that, that lost her battle with breast cancer, and, and there was a campaign on it. Um, and I think Gareth was, was behind it too um, on during the Brisbane Carnival. And um, yeah, we were more than happy to um, to dip into that, which was which was great.
1: You had Morton Plains at the same time, who didn't quite reach those lofty heights, but she was a really good filly. Ran fourth in the Vic Oaks and second in the Queensland Oaks. She just what she was just a good travelling companion with uh, Men and Gate.
0: Yeah, she was. She was, yeah. Um, no, she, she was a ripper, Morton Plain. She just uh, never ran a bad race. Um, and she probably didn't get the accolades because she was the second stringer to um, Manigate. If she came along a couple of years earlier or before, um, yeah, she would have got a lot more attention. But uh, she was a really nice horse, and now she's a... Yeah, she's been a nice broodmare to her. She's got a couple of nice, nice young ones coming along, so hopefully we haven't seen the last of her as well.
1: Very good, mate. So... Take us back a couple of years. You've been, there's been other horses in between, but you decided to go to the Nutrien sale, and uh, was it with was it with Shane Sanderson to pick a couple out? Did you and you just went down to buy them, or tell us all about that?
0: Yeah, so um, yeah, we had a couple along the way, and then when Shane moved to Charlton, we you know we could see what Charlton and Joe Thompson were trying to do at Charlton. You know, do um, start this trading complex. And we sort of felt that we should support it. Um, so we, we just gave Shane a ring and, you know, we yeah we got him pretty well and it was about the time of the sale so, uh, yeah, we sent him down and he, um, he well, probably uh, Dangerous was the one that he, he circled and he, he really liked and He said, I like this bloke but um, he kept on going back to uh Catalpa Rescue. He said, you know, I like this one as well, sort of, you know, and he, he was a bit undecided and, I, and they were coming up similar times and, um well, we just said, well, you better get both. You know, we'll grab the grab, uh, Catalpa first just in case we don't get dangerous. And as it turned out, we got both. And um, yeah, as it turned out, it's, it's uh, starting to pay dividends, which is good.
1: Uh, it was $27,000 for the horse that becomes Catalpa Rescue and 65000 for the horse that becomes dangerous. Yeah,
0: yes, yep, it was around something like that. Yeah, that's right, yeah, yeah.
1: That's that's a that's a big investment by anyone's standards ninety odd thousand dollars, but it's split up between a few of you.
0: Yes, that's right. Yeah, but um, yeah, it it was. You know, it's all done in under than half an hour. So, um, yeah, but you know, we put the faith in Shane, and uh, you know, we're getting duly rewarded, which is great.
1: You don't happen to watch a show called Peaky Blinders by any chance, do you, mate? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's right. We
0: do, and that's uh, that's where the name Dangerous come from.
1: Yeah,
0: um, Thomas Shelby. That was his horse. The one I think was the English Derby or the Epsom Derby or something like that. And we we liked the name, and uh, yeah, we sort of said, well, hopefully he's a good horse because it uh, won't look really good i have got a horse called Dangerous that can't win at Majura or something like that. So, um, <laughs> but Shane said, yeah, no, nah, he'll be right. He's a nice horse. Right, right from you know, right from the start. Hmm.
1: And Catalpa Rescue by American Ideal uh, at a Soho Saint. It's an absolute cracker name. You, I'll let you explain it.
0: Yeah, well, it's a bit of. I'm sorry, but quickly. Yeah, so the grand Dam of Catalpa of is um, Aussie-made Lombo. So we're trying to think of yep. uh, an, an American and Australian connection. And um, uh, the, the story is um, they're trying to get some convicts out of a jail in Fremantle, and this American um, group. Um, organised to break them out and they had a, a boat sitting out in the water waiting for them and they pulled it off and the boat was called the Catalpa and the story was known as the Catalpa Rescue. So, and at the time, Benny, your brother, he was reading the book and we thought, oh, yeah, there's an Australian-American um,
1: connection. connection.
0: Uh, took a while for some people to get their get their name around Catalpa but, uh, yeah, he's doing us a favour now by uh, getting his name up there. So, it's... Um, yeah, it's a different name, but, yeah, we like to put a bit of work into our
1: names. Yeah, 100%. I love it, as you well know. And they both go up to New South Wales on the weekend, and uh, Dangerous runs a a good placing, and Catalpa Rescue wins a derby heat. So you've got two horses. You've got these two horses that have been on a journey together, and they're going to go head-to-head in the New South Wales derby final.
0: Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's incredible, really, to... You know, you hope to get one there, but to get two in, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's just something that still trying to, you know, get our head around. But, uh, no, that'll be great. I think, uh, you know, we think there are two live chances, so it's a pretty even, you know, it's a very even field. Um, And, yeah, with the right runs, yeah, we think we can be, we'll we be right amongst them, which would be good.
1: A- Abby Sanderson will be back. Will she rejoin with Catalpa Rescue? Yes.
0: Yep. Yeah. That that's the uh, the plan. She'll she'll jump on Catalpa and and, and Sean, uh Shane, um Ryan will uh, will be driving Dantas. Yes. It, yep. Th-
1: this is there a part of that? Is there a beauty to that? And you guys are really behind that, giving these two young people in the sport, Ryan and Abby, a real shot with a real good horse each now.
0: Oh, absolutely. Like you know, uh, we sort of didn't want it any other way. Like they, um, you know, they're, they're both. Great young people, and um, yeah. you know the the, the passion, and then they, you know, especially Abby, just uh, lives with those horses, you know, and um, they know the horses, and and they both drive well. So um, we we didn't want it any other way. Having having those two um, being a part of the journey, yeah, yeah, they're, it'd be great.
1: just like a couple of really good under eighteen footballers, aren't they, that are in the seniors, and you just want to give them every opportunity and and let them kick goals.
0: Um, yeah, try they just. They just bring, you know, enthusiasm and and passion, and and that's what we want, you know. Uh, It's great, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. Paul, thanks so much uh, for coming on. And uh, I assume, I just assume you guys will be going up to Sydney on the weekend.
0: Yeah, no, we're definitely going, yep. Just getting flights organised today, actually. But, uh, yeah, no, all all the owners are going up. So, um, no, we're, we're just looking forward to the weekend, whether we... It doesn't matter where we run. We're, we're just happy to be there. It'll be a great night. Great night racing. So um, yeah, we just have not enjoy the weekend.
1: Have you let Menangle go? A uh, no, so they can prepare themselves for you, blokes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure they. I'm sure they know. Yeah, but um, yeah, yeah, no, we'll be right. Yeah.
1: No two o'clock fire alarms. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think giving you too much
0: information, has he?
1: <laughs> no, no, he only gave me a little bit. Don't worry. There's there's other people you gotta blame and I, I, I don't give away my sources. Um right, fair enough. Yep. Uh, former President Nixon uh <laughs> would would be a good clue. Mate Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Who knows enemies when you got mates like him, mate?
1: Yeah, correct. Good on you, Paul. Thanks so much for coming on and uh, best of luck on Sunday night. Yeah, thanks Toby, appreciate that There is oh, yeah. Paul Lowry uh, Having a great fun with a horse And it's a great story And, and yeah, we'll be cheering him home All Victorians will be cheering him home On Saturday night in the New South Wales Derby You're listening to Tuesday Trots Life With Toby McKinnon Wing of the Cranberries, Maddie mentioned it. I thought I'd better get it on. Uh, yeah, it's a bit of a slow start to the song. Maddie, let's talk Miracle Mile. I think we've got to talk about it, don't we? What What, what are your thoughts here? Oh, uh, for me, Hurricane Harley really deserves to be favourite. Probably should win the race. Hurricane Harley. Sorry, start again. Honolua Bay deserves to be favourite. Should win the race, right? He's going to land in a beautiful position. Hurricane Harley will drop on a Spirit of St. Louis back. He's going to end up with cover Honolulu Bay, and on his run last week, he should just win this race. But I just put a little question mark. Does he back up seven days after? What was a really tough run?
2: Um, yeah, it's an exciting time of year up in Sydney. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting up there. i fly up on Friday for yeah. a few days. Um, I don't think it's clear because what you're saying, saying that he should win. Um, this is a miracle mile, and these are the bet. well, in inverted commas, the best eight horses in Australia. Um, so I don't think it's a clear cut. to saying he should win. Um, a lot of things don't always pan out the way you expect in terms of maps with these type of races. Um, yes, he'll end up with cover. How many pairs back will he be? Um, there is some chance that if things pan out the way I think they might, then by the
1: cage at about the 600, he might even be last in the running line. But, but if he's last in the running line, won't that mean that horses have come the entire race? So that means Spirit of St. Louis probably held the front, which we all probably think. Catcher Waves had a little go at him. Mac Dan's had a go at him. And maybe Expensive Ego's had a go at him. So if that's the case, all those horses will be a bit softened up. And Dave Moran's just back there rubbing his hands together.
2: Um. Yes. <laughs> I'm not sure if Expensive Ego will be put into the race. It, 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 I, I don't think he's quite at his best and I don't think he can win the race. If he goes to the breeze, I don't know if he can even run a place. Um, I thought maybe initially catch a wave and Mac Dan may run the gate. Mm. Um, Mac Mm. Dan crossed in this race last year. Um, He, he won the Newcastle mile and then crossed in this race last year, crossing King of swing, Nathan Jack, I believe will go back on the horse Uh, and he drove it in this race when it crossed last year. So, their only real chance of winning the race, I think, would be to try and run the gate and, and see what they can do. Um, they crossed Spirit of St. Louis in this race last year. They couldn't cross Spirit of St. Louis in the Hunter Cup recently, but they did put a half a length on him. Hmm. Um, catch a wave got out very quick, as we know he can, and, and got out as quick as Captain Ravishing in the chariots. Um, so whether Andy Gast wants to push forward in front of Honolulu Bay early, the one thing we know is Moran won't get involved with Honolulu Bay the way the horse has been driven the last few months and has been racing really well. He won't get involved. He'll just slot across to the running line. Uh, Spirit of St. Louis will be attempting to hold the lead and and not hand up, I would have thought, and therefore Hurricane Harley drops to its back. Once the pace slackens, I think there's some chance that they may, uh, at, at about the sort of probably 1100 after the first quarter and the pace just slightly slackens a bit, there's a chance they may put Captain Ravishing into the race. I know people are probably fully expecting the horse to just be driven cold, sit, sprint. But I think the horse is capable of sitting in the breeze and going really well in this type of race as long as he's not actually cooked up early like he was in the chariots. I think maybe that was what brought him undone in the chariots, the fact that he had to really burn hard in a 26 first quarter. Whereas if you look at his um, Breeders' Cramwin, where he broke the track record sitting in the breeze on a cold, wet night at Melton over the middle trip, and then also the Bonanza where he went 150 under a hold in the breeze on another cold and windy night at Melton. Um, both times he wasn't used early. So I think he can run the times required to go very close here sitting in the breeze as long as he's not burnt early and then just works into the race, similar to what we saw with Mok and art when he was a four-year-old and he went around to the breeze mid-race to sit outside King of the Swing and ran second. Mm. Um, expensive Ego as a four-year-old two years ago did the same thing, let the pace slacken, and then went to the breeze and ran a very good second behind King of Swing. If you go back through the Miracle Mile history since they've been ran at the Nangle, um, there's not too many horses that have really got into the finish coming from uh, more than sort of one or two pairs back. So if they're running um, uh, in four pairs, with four on the inside, four on the outside, uh, past the cage at about the 600. Whoever's that last horse in the running line, it's going to be very, very hard for them to win the race because these good horses can still get home in 26. Um, so therefore, if you look at the horse like uh, my field, Marshal, he was one out, two back and mm. when they broke the record in, in 146.9. Um, so he's come from one out, two back. Uh, Have Faith in Me came from one out, two back when Arms of an Angel set the tempo in 147 back in 2016. I think Lenny the Shark was 1-1. One, one. And look, the winner, but then have faith in me, was one out two back and had last crack and got up. So there have been horses that have come from one out two back in fast run races. I think they're the two fastest Miracle Miles we've seen, the the Myfield Marshall and the Have Faith in Me races. Yeah, yeah. So for horses to come from that far back, we need to see a very, very solid tempo. And yet we still haven't seen one come from last and win. So the rest have sort of been up on tempo. So I don't know if Honolulu Bay Bacon win, if he's shuffled back to last once, Catch a wave, Mac Dan, and possibly Captain Ravishing end up working forward to end up uh, putting Moran one out three back. Wow, <laughs> I, I'm not saying he won't. I'm not saying Ever he saying won't. Win. won't but saying, yeah,
1: it's not. I'm as... not saying
2: you won't win. I'm just saying I don't think it's as clear cut as what you're saying. Saying he should win.
1: Yeah, well, he seems the nominal horse that is most likely to win. That's probably the better way of putting it for me. He's, just, he's
2: the correct favourite in the race.
1: Yeah, yeah, he is the horse that's most likely to win. But there's so many permutations. And, and after all that, so, uh, Spirit of St. Louis's got to be a chance, doesn't he, if he's the one in front? Because that is the golden yeah, ticket. Correct.
2: I'm just not sure. If, if they end up with three different horses outside him at various stages, I'm not sure if Louis has the bottom to run a solid mile yeah. throughout, yeah. getting looked at multiple times throughout the race by different horses.
1: Matty, thanks so much. Love your analysis of the Miracle Mile and uh, we'll keep learning about this race as the week goes on. We'll do it all again next week if you're back from Sydney.
2: Thanks, Dave. See you, mate.
1: There's Matt Lapard again. Great uh, to have him on and he makes some great points about Honolulu Bay and now I'm even more confused. Thanks, Maddie. Welcome back to Tarot's Life and a very special guest today, Uh, Steve Phillips, I started out by trying to track down the owner of Like a Wildfire. We see the name S&A Phillips and it led me to New Zealand. And once I started doing some research, I could have been there for 10 hours and still going. Steve, you've lived an interesting life in harness racing. Thanks for coming on. And uh, how are you today?
3: I'm fine. Thanks, Toby. And uh, thanks for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be on.
1: I, I don't know where to start. Normally, I would just sort of work on like a wildfire in the family, but we might get to that. What What got you involved in harness racing initially?
3: My, my mum and dad um, used to take my brother Dave and um, from when we were an early age, usually gallops, but once night trotting started at Alexandra Park, we used to go to all the meetings and just loved the atmosphere and loved sneaking in past the men with white coats into the stables, Yeah. Um, which you weren't allowed to do, but we managed to do it quite regularly. Um, see all these famous drivers around and the famous horses. And so by the time I'd, um, I'd started um getting my accounting qualification and had a job, mm-hmm. I had enough money to get a share in a horse. So I was about 18 and my first share in a horse and my involvement in harness racing just grew from there.
1: So it grew to what in the eighties you were, you ran a stud farm. Is that right? As it worked as a stud master. Yep,
3: yeah, that's right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, we, um, well, I finished my accounting qualification and um, got married and Anne was a secondary school teacher and I was an accountant and um, Anne's from, the fa- from a family the Grice family that have been heavily involved in harness racing for her whole life so we decided let's go and live in the country so we bought a a farm um, had a couple of kids started standing stallions not especially successful ones but um my brother Dave started National Bloodstock, and from there we got involved with horses like Soakies Atom and New York Motoring, and, um, you know, they were they were pretty successful.
1: Who, who is New York Motoring's best horse, do you reckon? Um, this is a question. Good question. Oh, look, if you yeah. can... Listeners will know the answer I'm searching here because my father owned... Who I would say was nearly New York Motoring's best horse. Yeah, who was that? Barrel Boy. Okay, Barrel Boy. I, I remember the name. Oh, well, wow. he won the nineteen ninety one Queensland Derby in world record time one fifty six seven, which was really big at the time. And uh, he, yeah. wasn't, he wasn't a champion or anything. He was a very nice horse, though.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, he did. He did leave some nice horses, and he did well as a as a broodmare sire as well. We end up with a few mares by New York Motoring that um, we bred decent foals
1: from. So did you get out of the stud stud master sort of career, did you, in the end? Because it seems to stop.
3: Yeah, well, we, we ended up um, buying a bigger farm um, at a place called Wai and put a track down. And so as well as at that time standing Soki's Atom, um, yeah. we ended up getting horses like Genghis Khan and um a couple of other bits and pieces but I also start took out a trainer's license so we started playing around training horses yeah and um and that and that that was fun like we never did it in a big way but we'd educate some and then we'd send them off we had quite a few horses with um Michelle Hackett and bernie um Hackett uh, and Round round a few other stables, um, horses with Tony he uh, horses like rear Gem. He won the Victorian Derby for when Tony was training him. Yep. Um, horses with Gareth Dixon when he was training. We well, ended up having a few horses there, and Ebony Gem won the Chariots of Fire with with Gareth. That was another horse we would bred. Yep. Um So yeah you know, we we just enjoyed that lifestyle, and by then we had three kids, and they took up a fair bit of time as well um yeah so it it was it was sort of a a hobby that turned into a job if you like
1: yeah and and a multifaceted job too by the sounds of it well, it was Still a bit of
3: everything we you know we we prepared a few horses for the sales in those days and um
1: yeah, yeah
3: and ended up taking a few along to the Sales, and they got any great prices, which put us off. In the end, we just started keeping them and breaking them in, and getting them up and running, and doing something with them from there. So probably, probably one of
1: yeah, one go. of the
3: best horses that we took to the sales is actually motoring magic. Oh yeah, and um, f- from memory, we sold him for about nine thousand dollars, which you know was probably just getting our money back from you know what it cost to prepare horses for the sales and service fees and. Um, he was a New York motoring horse, and he he did a really good job in New Zealand too.
1: So so he was um, Zenova, who yep. became the uh, lay girls syndicate. That's right. Yep. I had the, I had Anne. Yeah.
3: Well, Anne yeah. was involved in in lay girls initially, um, and they <laughs> they had some really nice horses. Jeff Small trained most of them in those days.
1: Well, I had Ange, um, I had Angela Margeson on last week in a similar chat to what I'm doing with you now. Yep. <laughs> so yep. how's yep.
3: that? Yep, we know Ange, yeah.
1: <laughs> 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 it's a small yep. world sometimes in harness racing. You're, you're, yeah, it sure is. You're on the board, HRNZ board, for 12 years. Tell us a bit about that.
3: Um, yeah, well, I, I'd been... Um, I'd been friends with a couple of people that were on the board, and Ian Shaw was somebody who had been part of National Bloodstock for years, and he was getting off the board and suggested that I should get on, so I did. Um, it, was, it was frustrating, um, but, but enjoyable at the same time. Like yeah, it's a job yeah. that is fraught with problems, um i'm sure anybody that has been on these harness racing boards that try to achieve positive stuff find it pretty difficult because there's always somebody who doesn't agree and doesn't agree with what you're trying to achieve yeah it's just a, a tough life
1: yeah i like that it was enjoyable and frustrating all in the one thing i can you get that sense. Yeah. You do get that sense being on the boards. It's really hard to get things to achieve things because, you know, dollars and cents also come into play as well. You just can't, it's not a never-ending never pie of money and everyone wants you to spend it in their area. We need more money for breeding. We need more prize money. We need more of everything. We just can't do everything.
3: Exactly right. And, and in New Zealand, um, you're competing with um, thoroughbreds and, and greyhounds. So it's just one big Group of racing codes, and it's just one body that oversees it, being the New Zealand government. Whereas at least in Australia, you have your your state governments that seem to almost compete one against the other, and so yeah, yeah. We, we we miss that in New Zealand um, because we're just competing with the thoroughbreds who have their own agendas, and the greyhounds the same. Whereas in, in Australia, it seems to me that that if you know Victoria want to make progress with something, the Victorian state government may well help in some way. And once mm-hmm. that's happening, que- Queensland will look at it and think, oh, we better do something as well. And New South Wales say, well, we, better, we better do something too. We just missed that in New Zealand.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. Um, amateur driving races. Tell us about that. It started in 2001. And uh, they say you're the godfather of amateur driving. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, um, again, we'd th- we'd seen amateur driving when we travelled overseas. Um, you know, we'd spent a fair bit of time, Anne and I, and the kids travelling through Europe and the States, and um, and we'd seen how popular amateur driving was in America, and and also in Europe. Like a lot of the amateur drivers over mm. there. Uh, very successful horse people, not only as amateur type drivers, but they train horses and they're on boards. And so we thought we should have something similar in New Zealand. So that was shortly after I got on the board of harness racing in New Zealand. I pushed that through and got support from the board and got got support from various other sectors of the industry. And away we went.
1: So what does that? And, in, um, yeah, what does it entail? And, and, well, it's
3: um. It entailed first off um, running running workshops for people to learn to drive, yeah um, because amateur drivers in the main were going to come from outside the industry, and for the first four or five years, that's exactly what happened. You know people that that had been going to the races and enjoying being part of harness racing suddenly had the opportunity to be hands- on, and um, we ran workshops every few months. Um, over, over It started being over three days, um, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and we had um, professional horsemen come along and act as tutors. Mm-hmm. Um, we sort of grabbed as many horses as we could from people around the Pukakaua area, used double sulkies to have these guys go out with a professional driver and, and get a feel for what it was like. And by the end of the Monday... Pretty much every time they were out driving by themselves, and um, and in amongst other horses, and just loving it.
1: That'd make a great corporate team building uh, little three day session as well, if that makes sense. Even if there isn't an amateur driving career at the end, I can imagine, you know, an accounting firm saying, "What a great little eight person corporate team building event we could do over a couple of days, if that if that makes sense."
3: It does make sense because we did that a couple of times. Oh, there you go. come along, yeah, and 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 said Look, we've seen this happening at Alexandra Park because yeah. usually, usually, if they if they'd qualified as a as a learner amateur driver by the Monday, usually on the Friday at Alexandra Park we'd put on a race a a race for them, yeah. yeah. And so it, it was it was never serious, and you know they were out, and the main thing was to be safe, but. Um, yeah, so people saw that and thought, hey, we'd like to do that too. So a couple of times we did actually have corporates come along and do one of those as an event. Worked well. Wow. But like but like everything, Toby, um, after a while, running into brick walls. And so yeah. the regulations changed a little bit and some of the horsemen thought, oi, we don't want amateurs taking our drives. <laughs> Stuff like this. Um but we did progress you know, pretty quickly to suddenly having tote races. And um, a few of us ended up getting opportunities to drive overseas. Yep. Because because one of the things that the American amateur drivers do is they love travelling to other countries as amateur drivers and competing in competitions. Yep. So um, my first exploit overseas was going to drive in the World Amateur Driver Championships in Belgium which is a bit of an eye-opener. Yep. Um, and the next year we, because at, at that I met some of the Americans, the next year we ended up travelling to United States with a team of four amateur drivers to drive in, in competitions over there. And the following year we hosted four Americans to come down here and drive in a competition. And... Um, From that, quite a few amateur drivers ended up travelling over to America and driving and um, just enjoying the hospitality and friendship from fellow harness racing enthusiasts.
1: That was good. That's fundamentally, and people that listen to this show regularly have heard me bell on about this forever and a day, that's what's at the basis of harness racing. It's those relationships and friendships and the shared interest.
3: Absolutely, yeah, and and even twenty years later, we will still um, we're still Facebook friends with a lot of the people that we met in those days, and yeah. we 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 don't chat to them regularly, but birthdays and special occasions, and if they, if they are involved in a big race win stuff like that, you just keep in touch that way.
1: In my pages and pages of notes here, uh, two thousand and nine World Trotting Conference in Norway, you went across to one of those as well.
3: Yep. Yep, I did. Yeah, and that was that was very enjoyable meeting you know, a whole heap of harness racing participants. Um, I don't. Like, it's like a lot of those world events, though. I don't know that we achieved a heck of a lot. You know, like you, you look at you look at governments and and world bodies. They love the meetings, but yeah, <laughs> not not a lot comes out yeah. that comes out of it. Yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah, it was, it was a lot of procedure and, you know, ticking boxes and, and agreeing that this would happen, that would happen. And like a lot of conferences, four years later, um, you're ticking the same boxes and yeah. agreeing that this should happen and that should happen. And so that was a frustrating part of it, but it was wonderful going to some of their race meetings and meeting you know, industry participants from around the world.
1: All of this, you've always done uh, walking, obviously, next to someone. And in 2008, and eight, nine, I think, I, I, I note there was an Unsung Hero Award, which must have been a, a wonderful little uh, acknowledgement to a very special person right through this journey.
3: Absolutely, yep, yep. Well, as I said, Anne came from a family that, that had been involved in harnessing all her life. and um, And so she was always... A strong ally by my side, and I was doing the same for her. One of the things that she got involved with early on was kids' carts. Yep. And so she spent a lot of time with Denise Goldsworthy setting up kids' carts in the North Island and then up down the South Island. It's all going really strong. It's another lot of industry participants when they go to the visit look at it and think, whoa, my kids could do that. And so there are a lot of people. Children who come in who aren't part of harness racing who you know, want to participate in a holiday course—they're usually done during the school holidays over sort of three days, learning to drive a pony. It's pretty cool. I think um, I think one of the places we got um, kids carts from was Australia. We had been going before we started here.
1: Yeah. So it's what we and call pony carts.
3: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. From there, Anne got involved in education. Yeah. So she's um, she's always been a strong advocate for the young people coming through um, into the industry need to have the opportunity to learn. And again, that's fraught with problems as well because it's not easy to get um, time off in a lot of stables. So you've, you've got so- these young kids who are, you know working for a big. A big stable need to have a whole Monday off to go to a course. Um, you quickly found that they weren't always available every 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 Monday they were needed. So it was a battle, but she managed to keep going, and and um, it was quite rewarding to see the people who came through um, into the industry from kids' carts and that education's sort of pro- procedure that Anne put in place. You know you've got people like like Josh Dickey, oh. Zach butcher oh. Oh. um there there are there are others they they're the two that come to mind who came through driving at good starts. and I know their their families were involved, but, but still you know they, yeah, so that was cool to see
1: so that there's a fair bit of the secondary teacher coming out in that as well, so there's the combined teaching and love for harness racing all in the one from Anne there,
3: yeah, absolutely, yeah.
1: Now, let's talk, yep. let's talk about like a wildfire, which is what I, that was the only thing I knew about you yesterday. And I feel like I, I, I know a little bit more now. And we've got a great sense of everything you've given back to the sport. So all the successes you've had have been well and truly deserved. And I went right back. I found a mayor in 1991, Dina Venito, who uh, yep. produced a mare called Against the Wind. And you, you had Dina Venuto, obviously, at one stage.
3: Yeah, we had her for a couple of years. Yeah, and um, and passed her on. At one stage, we were breeding from I don't know, <laughs> probably thirty or forty mares. Yeah, um, when we were standing stallions because it was easier to do it that way when you had the whole, the stallion there. And so, but we've cut right back now. But yeah, Diana Veneto was one that was around then and against the wind. She was a really nice race mare. We ended up. Jeff Small trained her. We ended up having a trip to Australia with her as well. She was racing at um, that two-year-old series at Bathurst,
1: Breed, uh, Cranbourne Breeders' Crown. She raced in the Breeders' Crown at Cranbourne. Breeders' Crown, yeah. Well,
3: yeah. I, think, I think at the time that, that she raced in it, it wasn't at Cranbourne. It was maybe, maybe Bathurst. It was, was, was some weird place, anyway.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was at Cranbourne. Not, she ran sixth in the heat and second in the in the consolation.
3: Yeah. And it was just one of those events, a bit like, like a wildfire in the Minions really, where just nothing nothing went her way and that. And like David Butcher drove her, he, he was furious with himself and the consolation that he didn't win it. But, you know, that's racing. It's easy <laughs> yeah. afterwards to look back and think, oh, I wish I'd done that. <laughs> you, you, sh- but, yeah, she was a good mare. We raced, I think, here as a three-year-old as well and then from her and... Um, I think her first foal, from memory, was Pass Them By. Uh, I think. Yeah, maybe. Might uh, have that wrong. But he, he was a pretty good horse.
1: His second foal, Don't Back Down, by Su, Won four and was sold to Australia. And then Pass Them By was, yeah, the second foal. And, second uh, foal, okay. You had a lot of fun with him. He ran in two New Zealand Cups.
3: Yep. Yeah, he did. Yeah, we'd, um, we'd raced him um, from Michelle and Bernie's stable. And he got to the stage where we had a we had a big offer from the States for him, and we talked to a few people here, and there were enough people interested to sort of reach almost the price we've been offered, and so we effectively syndicated, and we kept a chunk of him, so he was racing for a whole group of people when he raced in the New Zealand Cups.
1: Including T, and, um, in, and it, including T Casey, is that the T Casey that bred and still races Spirit of St. Louis? that's the man. Yep, Trevor. Yeah, Trevor. Yep. Okay. He came to Austra- yep. he came to Australia and won a Cobram Cup.
3: Yep, and then and then I think after Australia we end up going to the States.
1: Yeah, had a little stint back again in New Zealand and then, yeah, went off to the States uh, passing by. He was a very nice horse. He ran six in a Cranbourne Cup. He won that Cobram Cup. The, the Jim Phillips Memorial, who you wouldn't know, Jim, but he was he was a great man of harness racing up that way. And then he ran third in an SA Cup to Caribbean Blaster and, and smoking up. And then he went home to New Zealand for a stint and went to USA. He was a very nice horse passing by. Yep. So, so to keep people, the listeners engaged, he was a brother to Like a Wildfire. So, tell us about Like a Wildfire. As a young horse, he was by Big Jim, and he had four starts, five starts as a two-year-old for a win in three seconds.
3: Yeah, and he he was always a lovely horse, lovely horse to do anything with, beautiful natured horse, and uh, and again we had a close association with Michelle and Bernie. He ended up over there. Um and the main reason that we ended up sending him to Australia was because he quickly got to a level where he was running, you know, one fifty eight mile rates three or four times in a row and running fourths or fifths and
1: yeah. we
3: thought this is you know, this is not earning us any money. And um so we had had met Gavin um a couple of times and um, we decided that we'd give him a ring and see if he's interested in in having like a wildfire over there. And he was, I'm, I'm in. So um, he went to Gavin, and um, I think he won his first four four races, or four of his first five, for, for Gavin. He
1: won, um, and he won his first five sorry? in a row. Yeah, five in a row with Gavin.
3: So yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so we um, we we enjoyed that. We never actually got to go over and watch him when he was with Gavin, but um, Gavin was just one of those people that rang you on on the way to the races, rang you on the way home, and was almost like <laughs> like you were you were there. And um, so when Gavin passed, or before he passed, he recommended that we give the horse to um, Emma Stewart and Clayton Tonkin, um, and so that's why he ended up at at, at their stable. And um, how, Gavin's passing was was pretty pretty horrible.
1: How, how t- um, I think
3: he won his first start for Emma and Clayton um, wearing Gavin's colours. How,
1: how tough was um, that yeah. phone call when Gavin rang you and said, "You know, I I can't train the horse. I'm too unwell, and he'll need to go to someone else. And I recommend Emma Stewart." That must have been a tough call.
3: It was. It was. It was pretty horrible because we got to got to you know be close together not not especially, but just constant phone calls and and we had met him early in earlier years, so it was pretty um pretty emotional
1: yeah you still are and, I can and, hear it and, now. and and and
3: and that was the last time that we talked to Gavin from then on we talked to his wife who um who organized the horse going and um yeah. But, and even that night that he won his first race was pretty emotional. I think I think Emma and Clayton were pretty emotional and um, you know wearing Gavin's colours and just one of those
1: the whole the whole the whole industry was pretty emotional that night. Don't you yeah. worry about that? Yeah. Even yeah. I know you are now and even yeah I'm yeah he's. He drove horses for my 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 late father and my mother Gavin and he was just one of those people just he just everyone just loved him to bits no matter what happened you he know he was
3: yeah yeah he was a lovely person
1: <sighs> so um it oh, yeah goes to Emma Stewart he, he has a good sort of twenty twenty wins four races and finishes twenty twenty winning an Mo and then twenty twenty one he won a Charlton Cup and raced at the highest level throughout and twenty two won a Tarang Cup and. On the weekend, he wins the Horsham Cup. There are other wins in a pure steel. He won an Easter Cup heat and second in the final in Tassie. He's won an Italian Cup. He's won free for alls. He's just been such a good little horse, hasn't he?
3: He has. Yep. Yeah, yeah. We're we're thrilled with the job that um, that Emma's done with him. Um, he's a, he's a sort of horse that that doesn't back up all that well and. Um, that was the problem with the Inter Dominion's in lots of ways. So it's pretty hard to dismiss an Inter Dominion series when it's on your doorstep. Yeah. And um, and we actually flew over and spent a couple of weeks over there in Inter Dominion time. And he he had no luck at any of the heats.
1: Yeah.
3: Was was a very warm favourite in the in the consolation. And it was again one of those races. Adam and I was sitting in the, amongst the crowd watching this. And. Um, and there's a bit of pressure after a couple of hundred metres, and the horse inside him has a gallop, runs out, punctures his tyre, wheel come, tyre comes off the rim, and he's pulled up.
1: Yeah.
3: <laughs> and we sort of looked at each other and thought, well, oh, isn't that isn't that
1: sort of a surprise? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> he just had that. He, he, <laughs> just, the, he just, just had the way that, that whole
3: series had gone from you know. So, but as I said, he is better if he's fresh, and and that's I think when he's when he's run his best races is when he's not um, racing week in, week out.
1: Yeah. Do you know what his next plan is or do you? Or is that just wholly and solely Emma that just runs and organises all that and he, she just basically lets you know he's in here, he's in there?
3: Pretty much that. And um, I, I think, though, that they will probably keep him for the various I'm other sure. country cups. I think there's a couple of others coming up over the next weeks or so.
1: Yeah, Char- uh, I would imagine that. Charlton Cup on March 19, you might be able to go back and, and not defend your title. There's been a year in between, but to win another yeah, one. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, w- I would imagine that would probably be on his agenda.
1: You're not ga- you no chance of coming over anytime soon for a, for a country cup. They do a great day at Charlton.
3: Yeah, well, we, um, we'll certainly think about it. You know, like we... We had contemplated coming over even for the Horsham one, and it just didn't quite work because we had a family birthday, and um, so yeah, it wasn't it wasn't possible. But yeah, if there was one that where it all worked out, and we've got somebody that can look after our ten acres and our couple of horses <laughs> and our few yeah. cows, yeah, a trip to Australia sounds
1: great. Yeah, well, you'll be most welcome. Just let tell Anne to let me know a messenger so I can uh, make sure I meet you. Cause I'll be there on Charlton Cup Day now. One last thing before we go in 2017, 18, there's an award called the outstanding contribution to harness racing presented by HRNZ. And and it was presented to both yourself and to Anne, which was a really nice thing, a nice uh, way of recognizing what you've done for the sport.
3: Yeah. Yeah. We were thrilled to, um, to receive an award like that. Like we, we were, we were pleasantly surprised because we had gone to we were going to the um awards dinner
1: hmm. um
3: and then suddenly we were told that we needed to sit at this particular table. We thought, "Oh, that's a bit weird, but anyway, we'll sit at that table, and that was sort of part of the process and 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 receiving the award so yeah, we were thrilled it was really good
1: i I know I said one last thing, but maybe I've just been thinking. An amateur driver race, Mick Gurren, Garrick Knight, myself, Adam Hamilton. We could have some real fun with a race like that. Sure would. <laughs> <laughs> and it'd get bloody competitive. <laughs> yeah,
3: I, I know who'd be the hot favourite in his own eyes, and that'd be
1: Mick. <laughs> oh, Mick would nearly talk us out of it on the way around, I would reckon. <laughs> Oh, Steve.
3: But, that, but that amateur, amateur driver has actually been pretty successful. Like There are still um, a couple of amateur driver tote races each month, um, yep. North and South Island. They struggle sometimes to fill the fields because, especially up here, where we're just short of horse numbers to mm. make a competitive night's racing anyway, let alone yep. run an amateur race. So. Yeah, it's um, it's a battle. But yeah, the, the the people who participate are still keen. They're still around, and a lot of them have um have other jobs, so they're not actually in the industry itself. So they bring along friends and family to the races, and yes, yeah, it's, it's worth it's worth um, it's worth having. I think amateur driving.
1: There, there was a story around a horse called Iron Hudge, wasn't there, that he couldn't win amateur races and. For must have been a friend of yours, and then uh, he's come to Australia, and he went win, 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 and ended up running fourth in a miracle mile, which uh, <laughs> must bring back memories this weekend. I can't remember the name of the the amateur driver though.
3: Um, we had we had a, a, a friend called Phil Clabby.
1: Yeah.
3: So so he used to drive some of our horses, and, the, and I'm not sure it was him on on Hudge, but the one that he did drive and managed to get beaten on was Distraios. Oh yeah yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So so we had we had off at our place for quite a few years and and he was he was such a nice horse to drive because you know, he was pretty foolproof and and tried hard. So we put Phil on this day because he hadn't had a win and we thought Phil drive stray off So we still tease him to this day that he still manages to get beaten on a horse that ended up winning I don't know how many races in Queensland and
1: <laughs> hundred and one races he won? The Strails, 101 races. So Phil couldn't get him home, though. And he won one in, one in every, well, 486 starts, 101 wins. So he won every, one in every five in his whole career, which is an amazing <laughs> thing. Yeah, it is, yeah. <laughs> all right, Steve, we yeah. c- I think we could go all day, but thanks so much for coming on. been a pleasure to meet you and get to know uh, the name behind Like a Wildfire and so many other wonderful horses over the journey, both yourself and Anne.
3: Thanks, Toby. Much appreciated. And I'll look forward, if we do make it, to being in touch and catching up.
1: Yep, that'd be Toby great. Yeah, that'd be great. Next time you come to Australia, let me know. I'd love to meet you both. Okay. Thanks, Toby. There is Steve Phillips from all the way over the ditch in New Zealand. And what a wonderful person he has been to the sport of harness racing. Let's take a break. We'll come back the other side. More trots off then.